Hello, it's Vikas Porta, Chairman of the Vaki Foundation. You are listening to a session from our Global Education and Skills Forum, a place where leading politicians, businesses, philanthropists, activists, and of course, the world's best teachers share, debate, and discover new ways for education to transform our world. Keep the global conversation going and share your thoughts on the topics discussed with the hashtag GESF. Ladies and gentlemen, a huge round of applause for the world champion. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for the warm welcome. This is a nice spot. You wouldn't expect to see this in a tent. So, so we, um, we have a huge crowd waiting to listen to you, listen to sp speak to you. I polled them in advance and said, uh, what question would you ask Lewis Hamilton? And they said to me, what is the mentality of a winner? And that's the question to start with. Um, well, I think the mentality of a winner, I think for me, it's always been uh, wanting to do something different. I don't want to just exist. I want to um, ultimately live to my full potential. I think it's, it's just wanting to be great in some way, shape, or form. And um, I think over time, after reading certain books and f being inspired by people, I realized that I think we're all kind of, we're all a bright light, and it's up to us how bright we shine that light. Um, of course, there are obstacles that, are, that we all come across, but um, I've been really fortunate. I've had a great family who have supported me the whole way. Um, Formula One is, is uh, it's a great thing being in Formula One, but getting to Formula One, it's probably the most expensive sport to, to enter into. And I remember my dad, we had no um, comprehension of how expensive it was going to be when we started. And my dad and my stepmom uh, re-mortgaged the house like three times. My dad had four jobs. Their whole life savings went on racing. And so in high, you know, back then you would think they were completely uh, crazy in doing that. And a lot of parents do it today still. But, and it's so different compared to, to other sports. A bull, uh, tennis, it's obviously a lot less expensive initially. But um, yeah, I think my dad personally, he, he, my dad didn't want his kids to struggle the way he did. He worked for the British Rail. Um, my granddad came over from the Caribbean and it was just, I think it was just a really tough life for them. And he didn't want to, um, he just wanted to work his, as hard as he could to provide a better, better opportunity for his kids. And, um, and you know, so he's really the hero. I'm sitting here kind of as a spokesman for him, <laughs> really, but uh, yeah. And in terms of your own education, so tell us a little bit about that. What schools you went to, what subjects you enjoyed. Was there a teacher that you loved? There was. Um, it happened to be the lady. Um, there was a lady called Miss McEwen. She was my favorite teacher. And she was just always a very positive uh, person uh, for me at school. But I, I definitely, I struggled in school. I had um, dyslexic. Didn't find out I was dyslexic till I was 17. Hmm. Um, and being that I was racing, I was always racing. Uh, it was from, I started racing when I was eight. And it started out just the go-kart I had, I would drive it around a car park, B&Q, um, a DIY store. And then we went to a kart track. And then it's, it became like something I did after school hours. And then we got started to get more and more serious and it happened every weekend. And then when you start racing competitively, you have to practice on a Friday. So you have to leave Thursday night after school, 
we traveled cross country in at the time was in the the back of the car, um, but then we got a, a, an RV, a, a caravan, and it made school very tough because I had to miss the, the Friday, so I was always behind. I was always trying to catch up. So um, we had asked the, t the school if they could help with extra um, extra lessons either before or after, and they weren't very supportive. And I got I got signed when I was 13, and my my dad went to the school and said, "Look, we have this incredible opportunity. It's never been given to any." any other youngster for, for, to be a part of a Form 1 team, um, we need your support and maybe a little bit of extra time off, and he wouldn't support it. So what then happened was um, my dad took me out of school for those Fridays, and um, I'd get back on Monday, and I'd be in detention all day facing the wall. And so then I, then I got back to class. So I, was, I, know I had like three, three days a week at school, so I was constantly behind. Fortunately, the, the, the uh, McLaren who sponsored me, they provided me with a private tutor. So I'd have private, uh, private tutor lessons um, at 6.30 in the morning, before school and after school. So you can imagine as a kid, I hated life. Because um, no, no kid generally wants to do extra, <laughs> uh, extra lessons. But um, I'm, I'm grateful I did. And afterwards I went to college to study things I wanted to do. I wanted to do music, which at the beginning my dad um, wanted me to do history when I came to having to choose my, my um, uh, sessions and then also uh, French and then I started racing cars and it just got busier and busier and I had less and less time available to do it and I was struggling to, to juggle both so at the time we ended up doing racing um, as a focus which obviously paid off but most people that do it it does not you know there's only 20 seats in Formula One and there are thousands and thousands of kids that are trying to do uh, racing the worst thing I think at the moment is that it is very expensive, and, pa and parents take their children out of school. So something I really want to get involved in um, is trying, because like the FIA, FIA, our governing body, they're always working on safety. But I spoke to them recently, and I think you're missing a real uh, key issue at the moment, is that 90, I'm guessing it's at least 95%, maybe 98% of the, the individuals that are getting into racing, they, they drop out of school, the parents take them out of school, they focus on racing completely, and they don't make it. And then they have no qualifications, so then they have no opportunities afterwards. So pretty much every other racer that I raced with when I was younger, they're probably, they might be working in the store today, they might be doing, they're doing less than, you know, they, they'll definitely be struggling compared to what their, their, their real potential was. And that's because of the schooling situation, and you sh we shouldn't be able to give kids their racing license without getting through their education. And that should be plan A. And so that's something I want to try and get involved in with our sport. It's a really interesting point you raised regarding the, the, what you need to do to achieve success in your field. You, you're right to say that 99% would fail, is what you're saying. Now, given that is the fact, um, when children are going through school, what encouragement would you give parents to actually take that risk? To do what I've, what I've yeah. done? Uh, I wouldn't. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I'm pretty sure my dad, if he was sitting here, he'd say, "Don't do it," because it cost him a fortune and um, and the stress. He would say that he he lost a lot of hairs during that whole process. You know, I, I was racing from eight, so I mean, I've been racing three, you know, two two thirds of my life, and um, I think it's great that the, you know my cousins are, for example, are into football, but. Uh, the, when they tell me how much effort they're putting in, I'm saying that's great, but just make sure they stay in school because there's so many kids trying to be footballers. 
the light, the chance of them not getting through and actually um, using all that effort and work and turning it into getting a real job is is difficult. So um, yeah, but I do also think for kids, I think that we've got to let them blossom in in their own way. You know, follow the, the you know, I was very restricted as as a kid. I was my parent, my dad was in trying to protect me was quite controlling which I don't regret, you know, I think ultimately I'm grateful for the values in which she stalled and, uh, installed with me. But um, I really feel like our story is quite unique in the racing world because most of the people that I race against, they've come from wealthier families. Um, I can imagine for my kids one day when I have children, it's easier for them to get to where I am um, off of the name or, or because financially I'm in a much better position than I was when, um, when I started. But I would my kid's going to have it very tough because I'm going to give him a, the exact same opportunity I had if he does want to race, you know, if I have a kid that wants to race. I, my first go-kart was like a fifth or sixth-hand go-kart that my dad bought from a newspaper, the, you know, one of those back ads. And, um, and he went to, to the DIY store. He shaved the, shaved the cart down, made it all look brand new, and it was all bent. He bent it back into shape, and we raced against... We turned up... Has anyone seen Cool Runnings? Yes. Okay, this is my favorite movie because it's kind of the story of my life a little bit because, um, you know, Formula One and motor racing has always been a predominantly white, uh, white-dominated sport. So there, when we arrived on the scene, people were like, what are these guys doing here? And when you look at the, that movie, they arrived at the top of the hill with the, a, a rusty bobsled. That was exactly our go-kart. When we, when we pulled up, the boot was open of the car and the, car was, the cart was shoved in the back. So we looked, so, you know, we're not professional at all. And everyone else was more used to it, you know. And um, but then we turned heads, and eventually people started to recognize us. And my dad was great. He went walking around asking people for, you know, because we didn't have the understanding of how to set the car up. So my dad became our mechanic. So he was learning something new as well. So it's been an incredible journey for both of us. To and when I was at school, I wanted to learn about mechanical science. So, so I mean, for me now, I work with. In Formula One, there's 1,600 people in my team um, in two factories. One, one side of the factory is building engines, and the other side is, is building the car for two people. It's, it's absolutely insane. So it's, there's great opportunities, but also something that I'm really conscious of is in my team, in that 1,600 people, there's very little diversity. And so I remember when I was at school, kids would ask me, what, where are you going this weekend? I was like, I, I was racing. They didn't understand. They thought I was going to a, the theme park. And um, there was definitely no, uh, particularly like my family, the, um, from my dad's side, they wouldn't even comprehend trying to be an engineer. And so, but now there's kids, when I go to different events, there's kids from uh, different ethnicities, families coming up to me saying, oh, my kid wants to be a racing driver or um, my daughter's trying to be a, an engineer, for, wants to be an aerodynamicist in your team. So I, I like that, but still I think we need to do more. And when you were a child, were you a scientist? Were you a musician? Were you an artist? Do you have a preference? When I was young, uh, I was a little bit crazy. I was all over. I have a lot of energy, so I was all over the, the place. I was in all all the sports. So I was in um, the sports side was really what I really particularly killed it. And then I did music, and I played, started playing guitar when I was thirteen. Um, as I said, I wanted to study music, but my dad when it came to the point where you had to choose an avenue which direction you wanted to go, I wasn't given the opportunity to decide. Um, I can imagine why my dad would have done that, but 
it would have been better to have, I think I would have preferred to have gone the music way because that's what I love and that's what I still do today, but I'm playing catch up now. So what are you so. listening to at the moment? Uh, I listened to, well, when I was at school, my, my dad's from uh, the Caribbean, from Grenada, and so I grew up around a lot of um, reggae. So that was really the first kind of music that I was into. But my dad had saved up and got this really great hi-fi. And so I learned about, you know, Marvin Gaye, I had Elvis. I had a real mixture. And then when I started playing, um, before I started playing guitar, I was crazy into hip-hop. So I was heavily influenced by hip-hop and, and kind of street urban music. And um, then I started playing guitar and I realized I couldn't play any of the songs that I was listening to in hip-hop. <laughs> And so I had to kind of started to open my mind. So I then I started to learn to play the Beatles, Rolling Stones. And so I think it was quite a good experience for me to open my, um, my viewpoint. And uh, so now I listen to all sorts. So when I'm racing, sometimes I'm listening to opera, sometimes I listen to jazz, sometimes I listen to rock and roll, hip hop, whatever it may be. I think the more, mu the more I can, the more I learn uh, musically. So we have, a, I would say, a, a global decline in arts budgets for schools not just related to one country, I think many people over here would agree that that is what is happening around the world. What do you, how do you feel about that? If music was such a great outlet for you and such a great inspiration for you, uh, how do we combat that? How do we con convince policymakers that the arts are worth investing in? I think creativity is one of the most important things for individuals, people of our age, but also for kids. It's stimulating, it's a way to express yourself, it's a way to really discover who you, who you are. And um, I'm grateful that I've, I, I, as I said, I feel like I was a bit of a late blossomer, but I think I'm meeting kids today of whether they're 15 or, or 18 years old, and they're so much further ahead than I was. But um, yeah, I, I think really we have to encourage creativity. I think that's, it's enjoyable. You gotta, I think all of us, we have you know, our, our jobs that hopefully you will like your jobs. I mean, I love my job, but I get to race a Formula One car, so it's kind of a little bit crazy. But um, one of the most exciting parts of my job is actually when I get back to go to the, the factory and I get to work with these guys and I'm constantly learning from all these engineers who have gone to Harvard and Cambridge and I'm having to learn, and, you know, when I got to Formula One, I had to learn a, a bit of a new language. How do, I, how do I explain what I'm experiencing on the track and, and give that to an engineer so that they can put it into technical use and design a car? So I go around the factory and I go and see all the different departments and I'm, I'm learning all the time. And, um, and also then I got to the point that I started to get involved in the design. So like I designed my steering wheel, for example. And so I bring a lot of practicality to these guys who are all about numbers and it also helps me be, uh, you know, and, and tap into a bit of creative side. Tell me, how do you, not that you've experienced much of this, but how do you, how do you deal with loss? So when you lose a race, how do you recover from, from that? When I was younger, I, had, um, I can't say that I like losing today, but it is a part of the process. And I f when I was a kid, I hated it a lot more than I do now for sure. But I think it's because as, as I'm older, I appreciate it more. And um, winning is a great thing. Succeeding is a great thing. But you're nothing if you haven't gone through the journey. The journey is really about building. Uh, People used to say, oh, it's all character building, and it is sometimes difficult to really understand what that, that means until you get through that, uh, that rough patch and you get to the point where you succeed, and you're like, ah, now I know. So each year, I still have the same skill set uh, as a driver. Of course, I've honed in on it, but from a kid, I, I was always talented. But to home in on the other areas, now I have the, 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 the experience, the knowledge, 
that I apply to it. So I drive better than I've ever driven before. I'm able to apply myself. That's why I'm performing. Really, I'm kind of in the peak period of my career. And um, that's a great, great feeling. When, that, when the day does come, when you do retire from Formula One, which we hope is not in a very long time, um, what do you think your future career will be? So that's an interesting one. So all, I don't know how it's for every sportsman, but particularly in Formula One, every racing driver that's stopped, and I think it's similar for, for maybe NBA, um, some tennis players, often you've, you've done the sport your whole life, pretty much, and so you end up staying in the sport, doing uh, commentary or, um, I mean, I personally, not that it's a bad thing or anything, but I personally do not want to have to be talking about someone else racing. Um, comment, you know, a lot of the commentators are criticizing they might be drivers, but they're criticizing other drivers. I, I'd rather be encouraging of other drivers. But um, I'm right now. I'm really working on trying to understand the other things that I'm into, the other things that um, I'm passionate about, things that I would have put aside as a kid that I had to sacrifice to be where I am today. And I'm, I've had this 25 years, whatever it is, to build the skill that I'm using today for my job. But I'm trying to. I'm playing catch up on the other the other things that I really, and they're mostly really creative. Uh, kind of projects. So uh, the ultimate goal is to have built some, uh, continue to build a pro my, uh, my brand, uh, then tap into some opportunities and ultimately have some sort of business that I can work on and move on to. So when I stop, I don't have to look back or feel, um, I want to feel proud that I've obviously done a good job up, up until that point and be excited about the next chapter rather than stopping and thinking, okay, now I'm going to be doing interviewing. Um, kind of feels like it's going to be downhill from then on. But I feel I'm really excited because I have some, some projects in the pipeline that I'm working on, um, some design stuff that I'm involved in with some brands. Um, and that's, you know, I'm getting to work with people from different walks of life. So obviously I'm now, I, I, I've, it's very hard to cross over into the fashion world. I'm now at like a lot of the fashion shows really working with, um, I get to meet all the different fashion designers when I get behind and I'm trying to, get some time with them and learn something from them, trying to be a bit of an intern. Um, uh, I think, you know, you look at Kanye West went from music over to fashion and he became an intern. Um, and so I'm kind of with that kind of mentality, whatever it is, I'm happy to start from the bottom, but there's lots of, I think the future's bright for me afterwards. So I'm gonna ask one more question and then I'm gonna ask a couple of people to ask questions. Uh, please don't all put your hand up at the same time. I realize that you'll be disappointed. But, you know, we're here at this conference talking about how we prepare young people for 2030 and beyond for the future. And you've spoken a lot about certain traits like resilience, persistence, creativity. Do you have a view in terms of those kind of things and how you do effectively prepare young people for that future? I think, I mean, I'm not a politician. I don't know the, the right way forward. I think just from my personal experience, you know, my schooling, as I said, was it was difficult. and. I mean, now I have so much more appreciation for how, it, how difficult it is for a teacher. Um, I think as a kid, you're completely oblivious to that and all you care about is enjoying yourself. But, you know, the teachers have such a tough job managing large groups of kids that are just reckless or just, you know, trying to exp uh, express themselves but, uh, you know, can't sit still. Um, so I, the, my admiration for teachers is so much greater than it she was as a kid, but more so because I, I had teachers who were really negative towards me. Um, in a school, as I said, that was almost 2,000 kids, I think it's probably there, yeah, 1,500 kids or so. Again, it was not diverse. There was maybe 
four black kids, so we really stu st stood out, and the, we didn't get a lot of love from our, our the leader, the, the headmaster of our of our school. But um, I think, and another thing, for example, with the curriculum, the stuff that you learn today, I mean, uh, that, that was learning at school, I didn't feel that it it benefited me. Or when I got older, I didn't understand how to do my taxes. Um, when all these different certain things started to happen when I got older, and I was completely um, just, I just didn't have the skill, so it's a new skill set that I had to learn. So I, I, I don't know, I think there's things that could be implemented that are, that are better. There are, um, as I said, for example, for my sport, for maybe for even for other sports, kids should not be taken out of school. Um, I've gone and, and traveled around the world and, and seen different um, countries, uh, third world countries that, you know, kids are really, you know, don't even have the opportunity for education, which is, I think is the you know a bit like Nelson Mandela was really really pushing that. I think education is key, and you've got to provide them an opportunity in order to grow and create an opportunity for their future. Um, but I think the what's going to happen in 2030 is only was that 12 years away. It's not really that far. I don't know how technology is going to shift by then. But you look at companies like um, BlackBerry, for example, who were there and now they're kind of not so much there. There's going to be some interesting things that come along. Um, I know kids today, I think, are using computers rather than handwriting. I, I'm more old school. I think write, handwriting and, um, and books, I still read a book rather than a, um, an iPad, a book on an iPad, for example. So I don't know. I think trying to keep the basics, keep the core values in the teaching, um, being creative. But more importantly, I think positivity. You, you know, somehow the teachers have to be positive. It's really about encouragement. And that, that, it goes such a long way. When you see someone and you're smiling and you're like, hey, you're doing a great job, or can I help you? That, that makes a big difference. And there was a, the reason that, that lady I said, Miss McEwen, was my favorite, she was beautiful, but she was a really, you know, she dressed well and she was such a, she smelled beautiful and she had such a, a positive, <laughs> she had a, such a positive impact on me and she gave me her, t her time, which I know she could have, she, pro she probably gave to everyone, but she gave me extra time and care and she was one of the, the fewer teachers that did that. Thank you so much. I want to actually introduce my friend Rodrigo Mendes from Brazil over here. Rodrigo is in a wheelchair, as you see, but when he was young, he was a sportsman. Last year or the year before, uh, using technology, TV Global actually did a, a reality program on him where he drove a Formula One car up to 80 kilometers per hour using his mind. Now- I read about it. You read about it? Yeah. I was like, so how? I, I, in the world of that, how did you do that? Can we get a mic up here because I want Rodrigo to ask a question. Can I borrow that? Yeah. Luke, can you help? Yeah, sure. Hi, Lewis. Hi. It's an honor to meet you. And well, I heard that, that you, uh, you're a fan of Ayrton Senna. So you know the Brazilians are uh, recognized by being uh, very, very good pilots. So <laughs> don't, don't get me wrong, but I would like to invite you to race against me. <laughs> and then, uh, please uh, choose the track, okay? <laughs> Whenever you want, I'll be there. Can I use the same? The, the, uh, the technology that you, you're using, could I, could I use that technology? Can we fight with our minds? So Olivier, yes, over here. Yes, Olivier is the president of the company, so he, he can uh, arrange that for you, but as you want. Uh, I, 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 I am. Listen, 
it has to be the same car and the same gear. So exactly. it will be mind exactly. control against mind control. Perfect. Sounds good. I'm, Do we have a I'm deal here? Fantastic. Well, thanks a lot. No, thank you so much. We're going to take one more question. Who wants to go? Uh, we're going to go over here with this gentleman over here. Can we get the mic? Olivia, if you just don't mind giving this gentleman over here. Then this lady in the middle over here, Olivia, if you give your mic to her. Thanks. Lewis, uh, obviously, congratulations on your Formula 1 win from last year. Thank you. Um, you spoke a lot about um, when you're under scrutiny as a, as a teenager. Um, as a teacher, we see a lot of students who have these ups and downs. Um, you in particular with your story, you were mentioned that a couple of times. So when you were younger, when you were 13, 14, and you felt the world was against you, what did you, what did you tell yourself to make sure that you kept yourself going? I actually, um, I did things such as, uh, I was bullied at school from junior school, uh, sorry, infant school already. From like six years old, I was being bullied by the, the bigger kids. And uh, I entered into karate, so I, I went and did a discipline, which again is quite creative and, and sporty, and that helped give me a lot of discipline. Um, but I was very fortunate, obviously, I had my dad, who um, not necessarily, my, my parents split when I was two, but my mom was very supportive emotionally, and my dad was very supportive, like encouraging, like um, not he didn't really care about the emotional side of things. He was like, you can do anything you put your mind to, and it's down to you, it's your life. If you want to sit and uh, pick up that book and learn something and, and improve uh, and, and learn and, uh, and grow, then it's right there. You have all the tools right in front of you, or you can just sit there and do nothing, and um, you won't be going anywhere. So it was a, an, an interesting dynamic that he had, because as a kid, you kind of can maybe see that negatively, but... Um, I think, again, I was also very one, and even still today, just not one that um, when, you know, for example, when a teacher told me that I was never going to amount to, some, to nothing, or it may have even been like a, another a carton driver's, uh, 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 another carter's dad said, you never, you just don't have it. You just, you're not going to make it. And I'm like, dude, I'm 10 years old. How can you tell me that? Um, I always like to prove people wrong. And I don't know where that came from, but... Um, it, maybe it came from my dad, but uh, I just, I still have that today. So, you know, I got to Formula One and, and getting into Formula One, there was, it's, it's almost like you have to be a square, a, a, you know, a certain shape. This is a shape that every racing driver has to be. You have to do train this way, you have to speak this way, you have to look this way, otherwise you don't get in. And, um, and that's the way I was led to believe it when I, and so I got into there and then I was able to, grow into who, who I am today. And I think the cool thing today is that, um, you know, you look at a lot of the older, older drivers, the kind of legends that you might see on TV today, and they're always criticizing me, you know? Oh, he can't do that and perform, but I do. Um, I like proving people wrong, and, uh, you know, and that's really... What's the, what's the worst thing that's ever been said about you that has really hurt you? Uh... I don't know. Um, there's a lot <laughs> that's been said. <laughs> it's been, you know, this is my 12th year in Formula One, so it's, um, it's been a, a long, long journey. So there's, I like that I've, let's go for example, my, uh, Nicky Lauda, who's now my, a really, really good friend of mine, um, who didn't know me initially. And generally, I guess naturally, as humans, we, we judge. 
before we've actually met, can, can meet someone or seen something. So he had already had preconceived ideas of who I was, bear it based on image or, or how I'm dressed, or I don't really know. Um, but you know, very stere you know stereotyping. And then we met, and he's like, "Oh my God, you're just like me." You're, you know, my mental attitude towards racing, my focus on the attention to detail about the car setup, um, all these different things that, and, and he, he couldn't believe it. And that's really when our relationship started. But before that, he was a little bit negative towards um, me. But then that's that's really the same how it, uh, it is with other people. So I, I do like meeting people, and trying to shift their their mindset. There's a lot of people to meet, but. Um, I mean, there are there are always going to be people criticizing. I honestly think that you know, when I was at school, it was a reflection of the difficult time that my teachers were having. So I forgive my teachers today. I hope they're watching and they're proud, because even though they had that one moment which was quite difficult for me to to swallow, they still helped me, um, and I know hopefully they're in a better place today. So it's really about trying to when I'm doing my job and I'm meeting people, I'm really really trying to. Be positive. Be encouraging. Um, again, about shining. Uh, there's a. I have a, this tattoo uh, from a quote from Marion Williamson, where she speaks about how our deepest fear is not that we are in inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. And at the end of the quote, she talks about who we should not shrink ourselves to be to to make the person next door to you know next to us feel comfortable. And anything you should be as bright as you can, and as positive as you can, and as light as you can to encourage the people around you to do the same. So that's what I'm trying to be. I'm trying to be a positive. I'm losing my suit after this, so you've inspired. Uh, I want to take both questions, and we'll call it a day there. But so this first lady, and then you can answer both. Please go ahead. Please say, you. say your name. and. Thank you. This is Özlem from Istanbul, Turkey. I would love to hear a little bit about your mother. I know your father is your hero, but you know, yeah. this mitochondria thing is a big thing. You'll probably... Absolutely. Yeah. Great. If we go for the other my, lady, please. My mom is my best friend. Um, the reason I didn't bring her up is just... Well, there wasn't a reason I didn't bring her up, I think, just because we were talking. I lived with my mom till I was, um, till I was eight or nine, and then I moved with my, my dad. Um, for my mom to have given me up to go to live with my dad was a really difficult decision for her. But my dad came along and he's like, look, I've, I've got, I think I can create a better opportunity for, um, for our kid, but he needs to come and live with me. And so I did. And um, as I said, I spend a lot of time with my mom today. I speak to her pretty much every day. We party together. We travel the world together. Um, I've got, you know, on my mom's side, I have two sisters and they have their kids, so we, you know, we do way, way more than I do with my dad, for example. Um, but for example, I do sports with my dad. You know, my dad's very, you know, he's competitive like me. And as a kid, he'd never let me win anything. Um, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I'd be the same with with my nephews or nieces. I'm never gonna let them win, um, being the, um, comp competitive. But um, and then my mum was really the the person who sat down with me and and. Uh, and, and read with me, read books with me, helped me catch up on the things that I struggled at school, for example. Gave me that confidence that, that I felt was being taken away from me. And I, was, I wasn't a confident kid as a, uh, yeah, I wasn't a confident kid at all. I was very, very shy. Um, and the more I got kind of, uh, I felt that pressure, I felt like I really went more and more into my shell. And my mum was the one that kind of tried to pull me out always. So um, she, for me, is the most important woman person in the world. And um, 
she comes to she she's always been someone that generally likes to stay in the stand and sit in the background. Um, as I said, it was really difficult for her because my my dad remarried, and on that I was racing with my dad, and my stepmom was involved in everything. There was a really difficult time for me when I went to uh, to an award ceremony as I was I think I was 12, and they said, "Can Lewis's mum and uh, dad come up to the stage?" And my stepmom and my dad stood up, and I I was like, "Yeah, but my mum's over here. They're both my mum, but my mum." That's my mum, and it was such an awkward time for me. Um, and if I'm really honest, up until I was at least 20, 23, mid-twenties, I was still struggling with this balance between my parents, you know? Spend one Christmas with one side of the family, spend the next Christmas with the other or something. Um, one parent would come to the race and would feel neglected, so trying to find the balance has been the biggest issue. But I think my mum has been the best in, in really putting her own emotions and opinions aside about the other parent, for example to put me first. So, um, yeah, my love and appreciation to her, the guys. Hello. One final question. So I'm a mother of two girls, and every day they come up to me and they want to do something new. So today is gymnastics, tomorrow it's horse riding. And I want to know, when did you decide and when did you figure out that that was what you were going to do? And did you want to stop? And how much is pushing too much? Because I always worry that if I push too much, that I'm gonna make them hate it. And I never know what the right balance is. And I would love to know, you said you love music and this, and I would love to know when you knew what you were doing. Great question. That's you. a great, great question. Um, I think today there are parents that you want it so, you want them to do so well, so badly yourself, that it can sometimes be a little bit much. Um, I definitely felt that occasionally with my dad and yeah, I mean, the pressure was... I had a lot of pressure as a, as a kid, you know. He wanted me to do well at school, but he also wanted me to succeed at the races. And I'm struggling to do both of these, and he couldn't understand, you know. He just like, work harder. I'm like, I'm doing everything I could possibly can. Um, I was fortunate because I, I started watching Formula One on the weekends with my dad. And I, I wanted to either be Superman or, uh, or Ayrton Senna. And I was really lucky I had a role model in, you know, I, I saw Ayrton and he was kind of the, ah, I want to do what he's doing. And, but I had no, uh, you know, from, that was when I was five. I had no idea that I was going to start karting when I was eight. Um, so, you know, my dad, we just kind of stumbled across it. And my dad's like, oh, this is something he's into. And there was never a moment, he never forced me to race. He knew that I just loved doing it. Um, but I think for kids today, I think it's just about, if I imagine if I, if I was a parent, it's just putting lots of tools, giving them every opportunity possible um, and helping them really choose on their own, but encouraging them really. And when they're doing it and then struggling, for example, encouraging them, no, no, you can get through it. There's light at the end of the tunnel. Um, I would say really for your kids, I think they're really uh, exploring themselves and their likes. And, and, uh, but I think it's definitely, I think kids can't do it on their own. The parents really are. The, the backbone of their future, you know. Um, as well, you've got to obviously provide, uh, put a roof over the head and you've got to provide all the support and live your own life. But, yeah, exactly. But I think um, just encouraging that, that extra bit of courage, encouragement and really ultimately your parents, you are also a little bit of the, the rudder. If you let them run loose, they'll go all over the place. So really kind of, okay, this is the one you should really focus on. This, you seem to be good at this. Maybe let's put some more effort into that direction, maybe. Lewis, one final question for me, because we're in the UAE, we're in I'm Dubai. I'm relaxed, I was late, so. 
Oh, sorry uh, if I made you guys sit here too long. No, not at all. You, you travel the world, this uh, Formula One is around the world. Uh, you come to the UAE and Dubai. Um, do you have any message for Dubai? Do you like Dubai? What do you, what do you enjoy about racing here? And what is the track like? So, uh, one of the best things about my job is I get to travel around the world. I've been f so fortunate to explore. I remember doing geography at school and looking at all these different locations and Again, not, I didn't have any set goals like one day I'm going to go to these, but I, I never even imagined that I would get the opportunity to travel, experience different foods and cultures. And so when I am traveling, more so now, I'm really taking the time to, to get into the culture. So I came to the Dubai in 2006. I was lucky to come here for Christmas. Um, and it was a lot, way, way less built than it is. I mean, what you guys have, what they've created here is just phenomenal. And I'm actually coming, I got this race, my first race next week, straight after that, because I have a race in, du in uh, Bahrain. I'm coming here for a few days and I'll train. And so it's a very, very peaceful place. The people are so uh, welcoming. Uh, it's, it's one of the, it's one, I think it's probably one of the places I feel most safe. Mm. And um, as I said, the people really do go out their way to make you, and the, the weather's great, the food is incredible. Um, I personally, when I come here, I like to try and see the culture and often, that bit of culture is when you go out to the desert and you, you know, you've got the camels, you've got to, you know, you, they, they build the huts, they've got a bit of the music. I like seeing that and trying the, the real food. I don't, I struggle to feel the food in the city. So, um, yeah, and the racetrack, which is obviously, the, well, you've got Abu Dhabi, is incredible. It's the, it has the best facilities of every Grand Prix. Obviously, you have the, it starts in kind of the sunset and goes into, into the night. It's the best ending of a year because, I mean, they put on the biggest show. Um, I don't think anyone else can, right. can host. There's, so there's, they're the greatest hosts by far. Uh, everyone's trying to keep up with them, but they just can't. So, um, yeah. Everyone was very generous earlier today when they, they took out their phones and they tweeted and they Instagrammed saying this is the best education conference in the world. Is that, is, did I hear that right? A lot of notifications about that. And so in terms of um, the use of social media, uh, and you're an avid user of it, I see. I mean, you have a lot of followers, you have a lot of likes. Um, you know, I grapple with my kids, my own kids, and the use of social media. What advice do you have for parents when it comes to the use of social media? You're trying to create a brand that people all around the world follow. It'd be interesting to hear your thoughts on that question. Social media is, is there's lots of great things about social media. The best times for me have been when I'm, I'm trying to, because I'm traveling, it keeps me, my social life going, so with my friends. That's probably the most valuable, valuable part for me is, you know, I get to see what my friends are up to without having to pick up the phone. Um, or you might see something and you'll message them. And it really keeps, even with my mom, you know, she's following me on Snapchat or whatever. And she's, she's, you know, saying, oh, I see you, what you're wearing today or whatever it may be. So then it helps create a dialogue. Um, but also, I think today, in today's world, is a really unusual place where people um, feel that they social media is a way of getting validation for success, and I don't think social media is a, it doesn't doesn't mean success. Having more numbers than than the person next to you doesn't mean you're more successful or you're more popular. I I personally don't feel, and I think when you walk around, you see kids are just all they're doing is look on their phones and they're, they're missing a lot of the other things that are going on. So, you know, I would try not to personally encourage it too much. A little bit of everything is good, but too much also can be distracting. And um, 
just from my experience of having my social media, I mean, I'm trying to share part of my um, my world and my journey because if you saw the things that are, the things, the experiences that I get to see, it's not trying to put them in the, in, in your face. It's actually trying to show you that it's possible. I came from a, con- a council house in Stevenage, mm. and now I know and I'm having lunch with the Queen, and I'm sitting with Nelson Mandela, and I'm getting to experience these things that. Um, that I'm so incredibly grateful for, but just trying to uh, trying to give some inspiration. So, um, but it is a very difficult tool to use. You know, it's, you can show everything and then get in trouble. So, trying to find the right balance is what I'm constantly faced with every day. But um, I again, I never thought in a million years that I'd have anyone following me to a Grand Prix, being at my hotel or being at the racetrack uh, supporting me. I never thought that that ever ever happen. As a racing as a kid, you just want to race cars. You just want to do the fun stuff and play. And I didn't think that I would, I'd, I had no idea I had this responsibility, um, which I'm grateful for now. And um, as again, I feel like I'm growing all the time in how to utilize that and, and be that positive inspiration. But um, but I'm really, I'm. it's great to see all of you here. I'm sure there's so many people at the, the conference here. Um, but again, I just want to acknowledge all the teachers, everyone that's, and also the organizers, I think to have this event, I think it's really great to give something back to the teachers because what you guys, I couldn't be a teacher. Um, when I meet, uh, I mean, my patience is much worse than what it would it be for you. Um, I think, um, but when I meet kids, other racing, young racing drivers that come up to me now and want to say, I want to be racing drivers, I love giving point, you know, trying to teach them or encourage them. And when I'm older, uh, you know, in the next years, I would love at one stage to be able to have, find the next me, for example. I would love to be able to find the next kid who's fr- coming from nowhere. Rather than, you know, there's all these wealthy kids that, that, that are gonna have the opportunity. I wanna find someone that's coming from under a rock somewhere um, yeah. with a family and find some raw talent. It's gonna be really difficult, but I think that'll be a great, uh, a great journey for me. Um, and it'd be pretty neat to see someone one day be where I am. So we have a, we have a prize called the Global Teacher Prize that is taking place on Sunday night where we give a million dollars to one teacher. And the last recipient of it is a Canadian lady called Maggie McDonnell. I don't know if you're in the room, Maggie, but Maggie is a PE teacher. And um, everyone looked a little bit aghast when we gave a PE teacher instead of a, a science teacher or a maths teacher. But the sports are important. But I want to call upon one specific person, because I know you put your hand up, and there's Eartha Pond at the back over there. Eartha is a, a PE teacher. Eartha, yes, I called you. Uh, Eartha is, um, is from London. She is uh, one of the best teachers in the world. She's in our top 50. And she's actually a, a football player. Uh, she plays for, is it Chelsea at the moment, Eartha? Tottenham. Uh, the, the <laughs> <laughs> There's a few people like, yeah, and some people like, <laughs> so, I'm uh, a gooner. So. Hey. hey. Yeah. <laughs> Arthur, you had a question for Lewis? Great question. Good question. Um, I think ultimately, you know, my viewpoint was when I, when, for example, just from my experience as a, as a racing driver, there are so many drivers that have, some have lots of talent, but work harder and, 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 and overtake those who have maybe a little bit more talent than them. Um, I was kind of of the thought that whatever the amount of talent I have, 
I'm going to work double as hard as the, the other driver so that I'm just going to raise that bar higher than, than the others. So it's really just, as I said, I think we all have a certain amount of potential within us, but you can make that, uh, by building a bigger foundation, by working harder, you can make that rise higher than it would be if you didn't put the effort in. You know, it's difficult to find the words, but um, does that make sense or not? You can help me with the wording, maybe. Yeah. Um, mission statement is uh, my mission statement is to uh, dare to be the greatest. I want to be the greatest in what I do, and I feel like if I apply myself the way I have, you know, to my career up until today, and the other things that I might, well, I'll face when I'm coming up, when I retire, for example. I feel like if I apply myself the way I have to the driver I am today, I feel like I can conquer anything, and I feel like I can really be great in other areas where, as I said, lots of people who are in my sport will say, you're not going to be able to succeed outside this world. I'm going to prove them wrong, and um, I'm going to do some great things beyond it, and hopefully in the, uh, I'm always, I always have this mindset about the, or this, vis this vision of a lake, and when you drop a pebble in the lake, you create ripples. I want to be someone, I want to be one of those, uh, uh, the pebbles or the stone that helps create a ripple and encourage other people to do the same thing. Oh. <laughs> I, know, I might have to change it now if, if Topman's strapped <laughs> on. <laughs> On that, on that note, please join me in thanking Lewis Hamilton. Just come out